Hello, this is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LNL Research Law of One podcast, episode number 98. LNL Research is a nonprofit dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end, has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. I'm joined today by Austin Bridges and Gary B. In this podcast, we discuss spiritual topics through the lens of the law of one and our own personal experiences. We hope only to offer a resource and provide discussion, not to present ourselves as authorities with the final word on these subjects. Please exercise your utmost discernment while you're listening to us ramble on. Many of the topics we discuss on the podcast come from questions sent in by seekers. If you have a question or topic you'd like for us to discuss, please send it in. You can email them to us at contact at LResearch.org or go to LResearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and this is the LR Research Lab One podcast. And today we have a special guest joining us for our podcast. Doug Scott joins us today from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Doug has a master's of arts degree along with a master's of social work and is a mental health professional and theologian. He has written numerous essays regarding and relating to the law of one to Christ and Christ consciousness and Christianity. Today, he will be discussing how the perennial philosophy and spiritual dynamics relate to the law of one. Okay, our first question, Doug. Would you like to give us a general description of how spiral dynamics relates to the various qualities of the perennial tradition? Yes, um, it's a great joy to be here with the three of you. Uh, Before I begin that, I'd like to say that in our tuning um, for the four of us, you did the um, prayer of St. Francis, make me an instrument of your peace. And that was really touching to me because I grew up with that prayer. And um, it's probably my most favorite of all the prayers that I do. Um, and in fact, there was a time in my life when I lived in Nicaragua for two years where I was thinking of becoming a, a Franciscan priest. Wow. Um, so, yeah, yeah. The, the Franciscan spirituality, um, which honors creation and the indwelling presence of uh, the infinite creator, has always been a, a particular cornerstone for me. So thanks. for. I'm, I'm so neat that you started out with that tuning piece. Yes, <laughs> uh, I got that from Carla. It was one of her favorite prayers, too. So that's cool. one of mine, yeah. So to, to reiterate, the um, you had mentioned spiritual dynamics at the beginning there, and it's actually called spiral dynamics. Oh, spiral, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, although spiritual and spiral probably share a root somewhere. Uh, the perennial tradition, and, um, you know, I kind of feel like maybe this podcast would be helpful for people who are kind of new to the law of one or maybe want to be able to, send it over to somebody who may be of interest uh, to the law of one, because I'd like to start out by saying that all of the world's religions, um, in fact, all of the spiritualities, particularly the ones that are more global in nature, uh, really are trying to capture what is perennially true. Um, And that has been known here in the past, let's say 50 years, as the perennial philosophy or the perennial tradition. And uh, what that means is that a bunch of anthropologists and theologians kind of came together at a time in in human history where um, people could begin to speak about the underlying commonalities of these different religions. And they 
they came up with some core pieces um, that seem to be commonplace amongst the different spiritualities. And then furthermore, uh, they started to see that with the perennial tradition really is um, a timeless truth, but when it emerges in a historical context surrounded by a cultural context that as we'll see here in a minute as may not be as um, expansive maybe as the one that we enjoy today then that perennial that emerging perennial truth that might be delivered by somebody like the buddha or um, muhammad or jesus um, is going to be received and interpreted at the level of consciousness of the historical and cultural um, zeitgeist of the time. And then what ends up happening is uh, sets of dogmas and uh, rules emerge. Um, and slowly over time, the actual perennial philosophy gets uh, morphed into, I guess from a law of one perspective, um, distorted into a set of belief systems that can be useful at beginning the journey of spirituality, but largely what we see as becoming um, instruments of stagnation to continuing the journey. So this is not, from my perspective, it is not to throw out spiritualities or world religions, uh, but rather to help us discern the perennial philosophy uh, therein. So I just wanted to offer that because for me, coming from that framework, I have a master's in pastoral theology, so that that would be um, uh, near and dear to me. Coming from that framework, then, when I encountered the uh, law of one uh, for the first time, and this would have been, uh, let's see, eight, May of two or September rather of two thousand and thirteen, when I encountered that and dove into it, I was not only affirmed at some of the esoteric stuff because it touched upon some things that I had been interested in as a child, um, but it also captured the fullness, I believe, of the perennial tradition, the perennial philosophy that I was already intimately aware of and had studied. So there was nothing outside of the perennial tradition that I found, and in, instead I actually found it to um, provide a, an expansive net that captured all of the different elements of the perennial philosophy um, from the exoteric to the esoteric. And, and that's one of the reasons why I began to really settle in and trust the law of one. So I'll stop there and, and see if that resonates with anybody or any thoughts around that. It sounds uh, very uh, inspiring and impressive. I think that it's you, you know, this connection you're making with the perennial philosophy and the law of one is uh, really the connection that all great religions and spiritual masters have in some fashion shared with the world as a result of their own personal experiences. And since we're all one, those experiences have a lot in common, although each of us has a unique way of perceiving them. Yeah, that's good. What you're saying, I always think about what Ra said, and basically their opening statement 
on the very first session when they said, we hope to offer a somewhat different slant upon information, which is always and ever the same. Yeah, perfectly said. That that line must be in about 10 of my articles. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And so there's nothing to be afraid of. That's the thing I want to say is that there's nothing to be really afraid of. We, we may not be ready for it, um, but inherently there's nothing to be afraid of because it is the same information packaged and I would argue clarified in lots of ways um, that can be truly helpful. So the perennial tradition, um, I'll just give a little nutshell as to what, how I understand that. And then we can, I'll, I'll ex explain just very briefly here um, how spiral dynamics as I see it fits in uh, to both the perennial tradition, but also um, maybe connecting it with the law of one. And uh, what I want to say here is that the perennial tradition assumes that there is an inherent unity of all things. And that unity can be called, you know, reality, capital R. Um, it's known by different things, God, um, you know, the creator, all of those different uh, words. The words don't matter as much as the inherent unity and union of all things. Uh, secondly, that there is inherent in the human heart, um, the human mind-body-spirit complex that desires to consummate and have an experience of consummation of this union and unity. So to put that into different words, um, a person seeks spiritually to connect with this uh, union and unity. And then thirdly, that Ulti the ultimate goal of all of this spirituality and all of this seeking is to realize oneness with this reality, that there would be no inherent substantial difference on the level of substance between this reality and our own bodies and minds and spirits, that it is a oneness um, throughout. So that would be the overall um, maybe the, uh, a brief exp explanation of the overall perennial truth. But then Ra, and I would argue some of the um, more embodied spiritualities, Ra offers uh, some nuances there of the perennial tradition that I think are worth mentioning. Um, one of them is that it is not a, a space flight, let's say, to uh, out of this world. Um, spirituality is not about uh, constantly dwelling within the etheric inner realms or to um, abandon the physicality of this world, this third density world, but rather mature, robust spirituality um, that I, I think I see very present in the law of one is about a full encounter of the plenum of the, of the creator a full encounter and an embrace that each moment, as Ra says, um, session 10, that each moment contains love, that each moment is, is a containment or an encounter of the fullness of the infinite creator right here, right now through embodiment. Um, and that, that's beautiful because that makes us take this third density, this 
cre creation that we see makes it makes it makes us take it very seriously um, and it keeps us in our bodies and in a balanced way rather than um, allowing us to to kind of blast off in concepts um, that can lead to missing out maybe even our vocation here so I just wanted to offer that as um, something that it, that has been helpful for me to see as the perennial truth and and the inherent wisdom that's coming from the law of one group. Uh, with the spiral dynamics, it is a um, psychological and sociological system that was developed um, by originally by a psychologist named Dr. Claire Graves, and he did ten years worth of research between 1950s and the 60s, uh, re researching thousands of people on basic issues such as what is your view of life um, I think it was more robust than that but the point was is that over all of these years certain patterns emerged that could be quantified um, and seen as unique value systems in and of themselves that are often in conflict with other value systems um, later, it was developed by a psychologist, a guy named Dr. Don Beck and uh, Christopher Cohen into a, a coherent system that maps different levels of consciousness uh, that are present in both the individual person as well as at the societal levels. And what's really cool about all of this is that once you can kind of emerge, uh, immerse yourself into the spiral then you can begin to see how different societies, different cultures, even different people are seeing the world specifically from their point of view, from their reality system that may be just like ours or might be quite different. But when certain truths, let's say even the perennial philosophy are given uh, to different from people who are operating at different bandwidths of consciousness, then they're going to interpret them uh, also based upon the different bandwidths of consciousness from their lenses. And uh, one of the things the spiral talks about is that at least in the first tier of the spiral, and we'll get into that later on, but at least within the first tier, which contains um, six different levels the levels dislike each other because they don't know that actually there are different levels. And so that's where you get a lot of the conflict, the interpersonal conflict between people, as well as the conflict between um, cultures and countries and societies. So it's a real helpful way, I think, to map out um, the different points of view. It's just a tool, it's not perfect. It's not metaphysically true, let's say like the energy centers, but when viewed with, uh, with a softness, um, a flexibility, not a rigidity, let's say, then I think it can be helpful in looking at um, our third density mindset as a collective and, and sort of measure that maybe with what it might look like to be in fourth density uh, on the macro level, then on the um, individual level, what might it look like to be in the certain levels in the spiral and how that might correspond to um, what energy centers that 
you know, we're using individually as our um, particular seat of consciousness or gravity and how that might uh, be resonant or uh, a little bit different than what it looks like to live from a wholehearted place uh, where the green ray is activated, um, maybe even to harvestable levels or higher. So, so uh, anyways, that's an introduction and be interested in seeing what your own experience of spiral dynamics might be. Austin, what would you have in response to that? How does that uh, set with you? Um, I'm very excited about what Doug is talking about and um, what this conversation will hold. I've done some study of spiral dynamics, primarily through Ken Wilber's system um, that he calls uh, Aqual, which integrates uh, essentially, he kind of stole spiral dynamics for a large part of that. Um, and changed some of the colors for some reason. But for the most part, I see a lot of what Doug is saying in my own studies. There's um, correlations between you know, the energy centers. There's an uh, interesting way to look at the levels um, and stages of spiral dynamics and compare to what like fourth density living might be. Um, so I'm really resonating with everything Doug is saying. I'm excited to get into some of the specifics. I would have a question uh, for you, Doug, or you, Austin. Uh, at the first level, in the first tier, down at the bottom, there seems to be a beginning of social relations in the way of either uh, you know, caveman, Neanderthal man, and then up above that, tribal. Are those always in play, or as are we as a culture and groupings of people moving upward into different types of social relations or are these always applicable? Um, do you want me to go first? Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I would say that it is, again, this is a theoretical model, conceptualization. Um, what the spiral dynamics teachers would say is that maybe 150,000 years ago or so, uh, that would be what humans, the human collective might have looked like. Um, so, you know, we're thinking of not full, let's say, homo sapiens at that point. Uh, but in terms of how we might find that today, well, yeah, from an individual level, a baby, for example, is going to be coming forth from the womb at the beige level. Um, very individual, individualistic in a sense of uh, a list of needs and needing to have those satisfied, um, you know, quickly moving on to the different levels. But yeah, a baby would be one. Other examples might be in the beige level would be, um, let's say, the seriously and chronically mentally ill uh, that uh, may be homeless. And so there's a kind of a foraging, individualistic foraging um, movement there, conscious bandwidth. And then you might have uh, someone who at the um, other end of life with dementia, Alzheimer's, those kinds of things where a person's brain is uh, moving back into the, this, the basic needs of survival. Um, so that would be a kind of a return to beige. Austin, is that sound about right or? 
Yeah, absolutely. And then like the other thing that I would mention is especially something that Ken Wilber talks about in this is this idea that when we move through these stages, we don't transcend and then reject those uh, previous stages. Um, though, like Doug was saying earlier, in these early stages, what they call the first tier, and if you're listening to this and you're very curious about what we're talking about, it's easier to depict visually. So if you Google spiral dynamics and look at images, you can see what we're talking about with stages and first tier and second tier. Um, the first tier doesn't realize that as they're moving through these stages, they are actually bringing with them some of the things from previous stages. But at a certain point, we realize that this evolution through these stages, we are transcending and including what came before us and not transcending and rejecting. And so there are some things, some sort of like, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, cultural baggage things that we pick up that do fall away as we move through, but we're bringing like an essence of each stage with us. And I see it very similar to um, growing through and balancing the energy centers, because as we, um, progress through the energy centers, we don't like get through red and orange and then basically turn those off once we get to yellow and, and green because they are fundamental and they sort of feed the higher energy centers. And there's always a piece of those in our balanced energy system and a healthy expression of what those mean in our total being instead of just um, you know us ejecting what they gave to us at that stage. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Gary, uh, go, sorry, Gary, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say, Gary, what do you got to have? You must have something to say here by now. Oh, I hadn't spoken. Um, but uh, I think I'm going to be in the bleachers on this one, guys, uh, for the most part, in that I will be spectating and enjoying the conversation very much. Um, this is not my specialty. And despite having tried to brush up on spiral dynamics to a degree, it's wasn't uh, finding a lot of purchase within my being. I appreciate, uh, like Doug was describing, that it is a conceptual model that helps us to map and understand psychological development in the context of a third density space-time world. Um, I appreciate that it seems to have a hierarchical and vertical trajectory as one develops through the stages and I may have some thoughts and questions as we go on, but um, yeah, for right now, I'd prefer to be more passive and listen. Okay, we'll just jump in anytime you want to. Okay, thanks. Okay, uh, cool. Doug, did you want to continue on with what you were uh, talking about? Yeah, yeah. Let me, um, let me describe just a few more things about the spiral before we can actually get into the different uh, levels, and that might be helpful. And so... First off, to reiterate what uh, Austin just said, I thought was really good. The, the ethos of the first tier, um, and by the way, I do have an article on cosmicchrist.net. Um, I just published it. That's sort of the basis of my understanding um, of this spiral as, as it relates to the law of one. And then there's pictures on there too, so you can kind of get to see. But um, the first ethos of the first tier is transcend and exclude. And... Uh, even though it is true that we do carry all of this, the different levels that ones that we have transcended at the level of the first tier, which most of us are going to be until the day we die, most humans, um, 
we end up forgetting that. And what we do is we, we hold in conflict the levels, quote, below us and the levels, quote, above us. And, uh, and whatever level we're on, for example, we're going to really only see the shadow side of the levels below us or above us. And we're going to point out the hypocrisy. And there are, <laughs> there are shadow sides, there are hypocrisies to each level. And they're easy to see if you're not from that level. Now, when you're in that level, it's almost impossible to see. And so that's where a lot of the righteousness comes from about this is right. This is the only way to do life. This is the only way to see it. And then somebody else from a different level says, oh, my God, no, you can't even see the crap that your level's doing. But again, at the, at the level of the first tier, they don't even speak in those terms. It's just more ad hominem attacks or um, attacking ideals and ideas. Uh, so <clears throat> the, the people, you would see people below you as kind of um, uh, less developed. There, there would be inferior in some ways. You, you just don't know that kind of thing. And then anybody above you you would see sort of as aloof, elitist, lazy, um, heretical, that kind of thing. But once a person gets into the second tier, and according to some of the teachers, um, it might only be about 10% or so of the population, maybe a little bit more now. Uh, but at that level, you, you actually, the ethos switches from transcend and exclude to include and transcend include and transcend so just just the opposite and it's an inclusion of all of the levels the consciousness the consciousness now is becomes integral so that it looks down at all of the levels inside oneself and sees the goodness and the value therein and can actually see the goodness and value of all the different levels in society too and that is when you get into the ability to not demonize, even while you're needing to set boundaries at the, quote, lower levels. Um, the second thing it's important to understand is that there's an I and we shifting. So the colors of the, the spiral were chosen not to correlate to the chakras per se, but they were chosen um, to look at the cool colors and the warm colors as there is a a gravitational shift between the focus of the I and the focus of the we. And there are these predictable movements that happen through the uh, levels as an individual and or a society or culture transcends the one that it came from. Um, and so uh, another important one is the different lines. Um, again, the, this is a conceptual model, and we will have no time to get into all the different lines, but it is something to hold uh, intention with what I'm saying today, or what we're talking about today, because uh, one doesn't just have one spiral, let's say. There are different and in interconnected intelligences, um, and these include but are not limited to the cognitive level, the emotional, uh, spiritual, physical, relational and moral. And so all of these different intelligences would be different lines. And so for example, someone can be highly developed spiritually, but not very well developed, let's say morally, 
or relationally. Um, you, may, you may know somebody who is very developed logically, but in terms of being able to process their emotions and express them well, you, you can be sort of st stunned at their inability to. <laughs> so they might be high on the spiral in one area, but not so developed on another. And that's just important complexity that it adds. And then the last little variable, I mean, there's, there's more variables, but I'm not gonna, just for the sake of this introduction, um, the last little variable that I wanna say is that there is a difference between stages and states. And that's, that's hugely important and not appreciated, I think, in the um, general public because <clears throat> a stage, for example, as depicted by the spiral is one's current dwelling place, gravitational home of bandwidth of consciousness. It's more permanent uh, you know, and it takes years to move through and transcend a stage. You, you just don't blast through it. Um, and it takes training and meditation. And, you know, Ra talks about, you can know all these things that I'm, you know, we're giving you guys, but if you don't couch everything we're saying conceptually with lots of meditation and contemplation, it's not going to sink down. And if it doesn't sink down, of course, it won't lead to transformation, which is what we're talking about, transforming and, and moving from one stage to the next. Um, on the other hand, states are... Uh, they can include their states of consciousness, which includes waking state, the dreaming state, an altered state. Uh, let's say if someone's taken DMT or something like that would obviously be a different altered state of consciousness. And then we have these things um, that are called peak experiences. And that is an important nuance because someone could have a real honest to goodness, authentic peak experience, a breakthrough, a spiritual breakthrough that let's say the, the veil parts and, and you're able to kind of see um, from a, a gnosis standpoint, all of this inner complexity and, and non-dual nature of, of reality, a peak experience. But then when that experience resides, um, the wave kind of collapses and goes back to the ocean, then what we're left is we come back eventually into our home stage. So here is this would be just one example of maybe I'm at stage blue, which we'll talk about in a minute. But let's say if I'm at stage blue where I um, completely immersed uh, within a conventional religion, let's say, um, dogmatic in my understanding of that religion and then for one reason or another have a peak experience maybe a near-death experience or um, something else uh, maybe even a product of good prayer and I have a vision and I'm experiencing on a full heart mind body connection of a, a the nature of reality um, when I come back from that the only way I'm going to know how to interpret that peak experience is through the lens that's going to help me understand uh, if through the concepts of the lens that are going to help me understand how to interpret that. So it, it, I may end up saying, well, you know, Buddhism is the only religion that's 
good or or christianity is this is the number one religion because i saw jesus and jesus said this um the divine creator and all of the many things that are going on in the inner planes are going to meet us at where we are at and they're going to couch things in terms and in constructs that we understand whether visual or or otherwise um, so that's the difference between stages and states, and that's important to understand in the spiral. So what do you think about that, Austin? There's a lot there. I think um, what that kind of reminds me of, or what the thought that that sparks in me is that uh, this system, spiral dynamics, um, similarly to like the energy center system and the law of one, uh, it's sort of a lens that things can be viewed through. Um, and not necessarily a hole to like shove things in and to like see a person and say, okay, that's where they are or have an experience and say, okay, that's where that experience is. Um, it's a lens to look at those things, but it's not necessarily a way to classify um, people in a rigid way, like you were saying earlier. And it reminds me of um, when Ra talked about how we are not, mind, body, spirit complexes are not machines, we're tone poems. Um, the specific quote is um, the precision with which each energy center matches the one original thought lies not in the systematic placement of each energy center nexus, but rather in the fluid and plastic placement of the balanced blending of these energy centers in such a way that the intelligent energy is able to channel itself with minimal distortion. The mind-body-spirit complex is not a machine. It is rather what you might call a tone poem. And so I think it's um, what you're talking about with the stages and states. Uh, it helps explain a lot of why maybe some very spiritually aware people can sometimes seem inconsistent in other aspects of their life, or maybe some people that we don't normally agree with sometimes have very keen insights. And um, it just is a good reminder that, you know, it's a very fluid and flowing thing. The energy centers are dynamic in spiral dynamics. Um, you have these different lines uh, that can access lower or higher stages, uh, but you're all going back to that, what you called like the center of gravity. And that center of gravity is also um, what I would correlate to uh, in the energy center system, what Ra calls the uh, uncoiling serpent and the nexus between the inner and outer energies. It's sort of like, indicative of our current stage of evolution through the energy centers but that doesn't mean that every single experience is sort of filtered through that one energy center we're still you know entire beings with a full range and spectrum of uh, energies it reminds me of what uh, ross said about we are 360 degree beings and they gave that little equation uh, as we come to know ourselves as everything in the universe and if we can accept ourselves as everything in the universe, then we are actually coming closer and closer to becoming the creator. So is that basically uh, what you would see, Doug, as the process of spiral dynamics is helping us to do that in general? Um, uh, yeah, it might be a tool to use it in a, in a way um, that can help us see the level perhaps a little bit where we're at um, mostly and then what's the leading edge into breaking into the next. Um, so it can be helpful in that way too. Uh, but I, I would say <clears throat> that 
it is, again, it is a tool and it's not to be used rigidly at all, um, but nonetheless, it's helpful. And I would say that it is easy to see in a lot of spiritual forms. And I have spent, um, you know, now, I guess, almost a decade in, in certain forms. And what I see is that when people are uh, being able to dive into concepts like what Ra says, um, we become the creator, we are the creator. Uh, everything I say is perfect. Everything you say is perfect. Um, at the absolute level, of course, that is true. <laughs> but I think that sometimes there's not an appreciation of the relative levels. And that's kind of what we're here in as the creator in the manifested world is to fully explore these relative levels, um, both at the level of concepts, uh, ideas, as well as encounters with um, creation here in third density. So being said, uh, saying that is um, the spiral dynamics as a map to kind of look at where are we at from a relative standpoint uh, to becoming the fullness of the creator what does that might look like from a relative standpoint? Of course, on an absolute standpoint, we all are. But if we stay at the absolute level, then oftentimes you find people having a hard time making sense of, well, I have this newfound, you know, uh, spirituality, we're all one, but I seem to be having real big problems in my daily life, especially with, um, you know, telling other people that they don't know very much. And <laughs> So, you know, relationships can go down and I'm sinking in real life in the relative world. So I don't know how to put those two together. So I think spiral dynamics is one tool to help us um, put the relative and the absolute together. Okay, very good. Okay, so we've been investigating in depth question number two, right? What was number two? I'm sorry. Could you describe how spiral dynamics maps the different levels of consciousness psychologically within people in general? And then could you describe how spiral dynamics maps the different levels of consciousness sociologically in our society? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Okay. So have we covered that to uh, a degree where there are there any more questions or comments we'd like to make on that? Um, no, I think now might be a good time to blast right on into the different stages and have that conversation. Okay. Um, now, does that contain, uh, I was looking at question three, is that what you're suggesting a subtitle uh, subject of uh, the second question or we're we going on to the third one, how spiral dynamics explains interpersonal conflicts and reveals ways to get through them without scapegoating and demonizing others. Yeah, it will include that. Okay. Yep. Take off. <laughs> Um, okay, well, Austin, you definitely have a, a little bit of a different lens to look at uh, spiral dynamics than I do. I'm not as familiar with Ken Wilber's um, contributions to the spiral. So this one is, is not his model. Um, it's more of the Claire Graves model, but it uh, doesn't mean it's any better or, or worse. It's just different, I guess. But there'll be some overlap, I'm sure. The so first far as level, I can tell, the biggest difference is just the colors. Like almost everything about the stages are the same. I don't know why he did that. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, the first one, beige, is the survival and the instinctive level. Um, these would be automatic 
uh, almost autistic, satisfying basic needs, again, instinctual, and there's little or no awareness of the self as distinct. Um, you might have people who are living off the land, uh, rudimentary banding with others, but it's not so much um, the, it's not so much in the service of forming a tribe as much as it is um, helping oneself just survive at, at the individual level. Uh, and, you know, I think that from a chakra standpoint, uh, the first chakra is primarily at the beige level. It doesn't mean it's any less foundational um, or fundamental, of course, it's the foundation and fundamental. Um, but I, I would equate the beige with the, the first chakra. And I think the second chakra at the beige level is beginning to develop. Um, there's some, there's some developing, but it's, it's uh, remains in the subconscious. It's higher than the unconscious, but it's not yet conscious. <laughs> uh, and then the third chakra, I would say remains undeveloped at, at the beige level. Um, there's no sense, there's no real sense of uh, community yet. So does that sound about right? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, just to give sort of a, an overview of what um, Doug is doing here for people who are listening is, you know, we've been describing spiral dynamics and stages. There's essentially colors mapped to each stage. Um, it goes uh, beige, purple, red, blue, orange, green for the first tier. And each of those stages has certain values. And a lot of those values can seem to map in different ways to the energy center system that Ra describes in the chakra centers. And um, there isn't a one-to-one -one match between these two things, but there are a lot of similarities that um, really make it worth exploring what this really well-developed system in spiral dynamics um, has to say about these stages because there's a lot more study and it's a lot more real world practical um, information versus what Ra gave, which is a very personal tool. So um, talking about sort of the beige mapping to the red ray energy center, the beige is like the base level um, stage in spiral dynamics. And it has all those things that Doug described. It's very similar to what you might imagine somebody operating primarily from the red ray energy center might do. And then as you go up the um, stages in spiral dynamics, you'll find different interplays between um, how we view the energy centers and how we view these different stages. So yeah, everything you said, Doug, sounds um, pretty right to me. Thanks. And I would say that, um, again, these are largely going to be my speculations. I, I could be completely wrong, in, and I'm going to be presenting a, just a very basic introduction. So <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. maybe later on there can be more development in, the, in thought on this. But um, okay. Now, remember, we have the shift from I to we. So uh, the beige starts with the I, and it is much more at the service of the I. Um, and by the way, polarities really aren't here yet. Um, the idea of people choosing a polarity hasn't come on consciousness online in the human um, at this point or the next one. Okay, so now we're gonna move to the next level and we're shifting from the I to the we. And this is later on in human development when tribes begin to form and in and around tribes, you begin to have the emergence of cultural norms that are specific with that tribe, but are contra distinct from another tribe. 
who might even be just a few, you know, miles away or whatever, uh, and they're going to have their own cultural uh, set of norms that may be in conflict with the tribe. But at the purple level, um, we've got, you know, magical, superstitious, uh, there's an unconditional acceptance by family members of the magical and the superstitious. Um, blood relationships are center stage. There's a loyalty to elders and ancestors. Um, within the clan, a natural order exists. And clan members are going to be definitely willing to sacrifice themselves for the tribe. Uh, but it is to be noted that there is an in-group versus out-group ethos um, at the tribal level. And uh, there's one wants to placate and communicate with mystical spirits. At, at the level of purple, there may not be this inherent understanding that all is one and that when they're engaging with certain spirits, they're engaging with you know, the creator through the portal of that particular spirit. That unity and union doesn't really come online at this level. Um, but more think of individual spirits that are just more powerful than, than the human is. And um, from a law of one standpoint, can you guys think of any <laughs> uh, example there where a certain fourth density negative uh, tried to move uh, the mindset of a certain tribe to seeing bellicosity and they, they kind of installed something? Anything come to mind? <laughs> How about Yahweh? Well, yeah, uh, I was thinking the negative of, Yahweh. <laughs> well, there was that too, but um, remember the Stoneheads. Oh yeah, of sure. Easter mm -hmm. Island. So you can see there that Ra Ra was talking about how the fourth density um, negative entities, I guess Orion, were were trying to uh, move the plant something in the unconscious of that particular tribe to try to get inroads into the human collective. Um, and they were doing it at the tribal level, but it's not like those people would have seen the stone, you know, the, the heads on Easter Island as, well, this is just a symbol of the unitive consciousness of God. You know, they would have seen them as, they would have felt and seen them as powerful entities in and of themselves, disconnected from a greater uh, unity. Again, the purple um, would have an emotional connection, a sense of family of the people and the organization. And the tribe um, tries to <clears throat> see that the individual is subordinate to the group. So there's a sacrificing of oneself to the group. Um, and I, I would say that from a chakra standpoint, the purple level Again, this is my speculation, but you have the second and third chakras beginning to develop. Um, the first chakras is is firm. Uh, we're moving away on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're moving away from just pure survival into the next rung. Um, so you, you have the orange ray and the yellow ray centers beginning to develop. Um, people do not individuate from the tribe. So the sense of a personal self remains in the subconscious which is a little higher than the unconscious, but not yet conscious. And, um, you know, the second chakra, as we know, is the emotional and personal energy center. So there is beginning developing of seeing oneself as 
um, how I'm, well, also, I'm sorry, connected with the third chakra, which is starting to see the interactions and societal self uh, and how they are uh, connecting with the community here. So you have a developing of both the second and third. Um, and the last thing I'll say about this in, in terms of chakras is we can put on the lens of chakras here and say, uh, what would we think about the conflicts between tribes that take place that they see each other, you know, another tribe as less than and threatening. So from a, from a chakra standpoint, you know, we can start to see that there's a second and third chakra coming, but there's beginning to be a dance there um, and holding the other, whatever the other is, as not the self. So what do you think, do you have anything to weigh or interest on that one, Austin? Yeah, um, I think that this is really good at depicting, or at least in my mind, that, um, you know, as we develop through the energy centers, it's not necessarily a clean upward trajectory. And especially when I think about the orange ray energy center and the yellow ray energy center, especially in modern life, I see those two sort of developing a lot in tandem, where it's going to be really hard to sort of break through that orange and then not have like catalyst that's going to force you to um, develop in the yellow ray and then have catalyst from that that also, you know, helps you balance back down to the orange ray and sort of um, these two rays particularly I see is very much interrelated and uh, together and then that's why I think in a system like spiral dynamics where, you know, they take data from people and it's sort of this sort of uh, extrapolation of like all this data of how they see people developing from a more scientific standpoint, they're seeing those two energy centers in this level, this, um, the magic level, the purple level, um, those two energy centers coming out particularly strong in that level or exactly. starting to develop. Exactly. And that's, that's the reason why I was excited about having this conversation is because I haven't seen yet, and I'm sure it's out there and someone's probably done a much better job than, than I've done, but um, I haven't seen yet the, the, a conversation in and around uh, marrying or synthesizing the law of one's take on energy centers, of which I am not an expert, but um, looking at that and then seeing how spiral dynamics take of, of um, evolution and development can correspond with each other. So yeah, this is, this is a cool kind of exercise in doing this. Um, okay, so we now we move back, we shift to the red level from the purple to the red. This is a shift from we consciousness in the purple to I consciousness in red. And what may happen there is think of maybe a young upstart in the tribe saying, you know, why, why should I placate all these things to the gods? I don't even know if I believe the gods anymore. And um, why, should, why should the group take precedence over what I feel like the way things should be run? I mean, do we always have to just stick with tradition here? Because tradition's kicking our butt, especially with these other tribes. So screw tradition. I'm going to like develop uh, some friends of mine. We're going to go on a war path and, and we're going to, we're going to show, we're going to show what's, what's up because I actually know how to do this better. 
Um, and so this is the emergence of the red. And the ethos here would be um, seeing gods as power gods. The, the idea of power comes online. Who's got the power? Who doesn't? And it's always better to, you know, if it's a world of haves and haves nots, it is, it's good to be a have. And let's make sure that I have the have and, and my people have the have. Um, it's inherently egocentric. Now, one of the things that we have to understand from the spiral dynamics is that just like the energy centers, there's no good or bad. Um, it's, it's morally neutral or amoral, you could even say. Um, the same could be said for the spiral too. So we're not going to be looking at the red spiral or the other spirals as, oh, this is the bad one or, oh, this is the good one. These are spirals. These, these are um, things that we all have to go through by ourselves individually, but they are also present in society. And, you know, if you or me were born into this particular society or were put there, um, we would probably revert back uh, to a little bit of a lower level. Um, so that's one way to look at it. Uh, power, the, the red level is going to avoid shame, um, defend reputation and be respected. So they're not going to feel shame. They're not going to feel guilt. They can, they can uh, rape people. They can, you know, touch people, sexual abuse. Um, they can call people names. Um, they're not going to feel guilty or shameful about that. They're going to defend themselves because um, they're right and everybody else is wrong and I'm the king and I get to do what I choose. Uh, there's a gratifying of impulses and sense immediately. So there's no appreciation of long-term planning. It's all about the instinct and impulsive thinking right now. Um, you know, like I, I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need your long list of things to plan about in the future. I'm just going to do what feels right because my gut says this is how it should be. And my gut's not wrong because I killed the other guy that thought my gut was wrong <laughs> or, or, you know, not necessarily kill. Maybe you could kill them, kill a person these days um, uh, with reputation or, um, you know, name attacking them, their personhood through media or so forth. Um, the red doesn't worry about consequences that may come. Uh, impulses and very impulsive again in displays of power, uh, domination, power and oppression. Now they're not gonna see it as domination, power and oppression. Uh, they're gonna see it as this is the rightful way it should be. Um, and if you're being oppressed, then that's okay because you're, you're kind of subhuman or you know, there's, there's that scapegoating that's going on. Um, strives for self-preservation, demands respect, uh, you know, no guts, no glory. It's all guts here. And um, they're loyal to those whom they consider friends that help them with the power, but they are fiercely uh, attacking, um, again, either uh, ad hominem attacks in more of a modern society or are literally killing somebody else um, and all of their family members to those who, who they might view as threats um, against, you know, who are disloyal or are not loyal to them as people, not just to their ideas, but you're disloyal to me and to then that shall not be tolerated. Um, they're decisive. They're always energetic uh, enforcement by way of 
again, threats and sanctions. Um, they, they often will talk about like, we're on a mission, you know, we're, a, we're a crusade where, um, this is divinely oriented, but the leader of that divine mission, let's say, um, is not necessarily at all connected with their higher self, let's say, or maybe even you could the higher power. It's, it's more, more that they are, um, interpreting themselves as God's representative, uh, that kind of thing. Um, it's no nonsense. And, you know, they'll say, if you are with us, if you are not with us, then you're against us. It's that either, or they, they do not think in both. And it's always either, or good or bad. We're the good guys. You're the bad guys. And, uh, you know, I, I would say that there's an urgency with them. Um, it, it's, you know, my, the way I, the, my mission and my view is urgent and then they'll sell it to everybody else, but they do it through um, kind of a, a threatening thing. So, you know, you can begin as I'm talking, you can maybe begin to get a sense of what that might look like in modern life. Um, but you can also see, let's say maybe a three to five-year-old kid um, can, can you also maybe think of, of, of maybe kid development as uh, good guys, bad guys, cops and robbers, um, it's my way or the highway, that kind of thing. Uh, but we also find this in, let's say, current culture is uh, mafia mentality, the godfather, um, warlords, uh, some say prison culture in the United States would be red. Um, and I think and we'll get, maybe get into this later on or not. It, it doesn't need to go this way, but I would say that, um, our current political divisiveness in our country, um, has a lot of red elements to it. Um, sort of this either or kind of thing, um, which, which is interesting because it's a, it's a bit of a co-opt of the blue and orange, which we'll get into a little bit later on. Um, and so <clears throat> that would be, in a nutshell, the red power. And in terms of the chakras, um, again, the second and third chakras continue to develop. I, I wouldn't see the green chakra as, as coming online. Um, now, somebody may feel, a, a warlord may feel like they're doing this for the good of their people. Uh, but one could ask themselves, how far away is that mindset from what seems to me as universal love, where, you know, one, like Jesus said, loves one's enemies. Um, so I don't know what that looked like in terms of the green, but I, I'm guessing that the, the second and third chakras are still really active. But I, I would say that unlike the purple, uh, the second chakra actually leads in dominance over the third in red. And um, they, you know, they individuate from the tribe by force. And there's a, there's a discovery, if you will, of, of one's individual power. Um, it's, not, not in the, it's not a discovery of the self that will happen later on in, in orange, but it is a discovery of the power of oneself over and against somebody else. So does this sound like a certain polarity that we're familiar with in the law of one? Well, it does, but I'm wondering, does Spiral Dynamics say that everyone has to go through all of these stages, including this, this red stage of uh, seeming negativity? Yes. Con consciously or unconsciously? 
absolutely have to you, there's no nonstop flight just like there's no nonstop flight from one to seven chakras well let's say one to six um there has to be a lot of work done and and to be honest with you um you're going to see this kind of thing whether explicitly or implicitly this kind of thinking at the red level like i said in earlier childhood uh <clears throat> now it may not be you know there's probably different expressions of of red in childhood that doesn't necessarily become violent but um, you do see the violence uh you know in sort of the mean girl culture yeah, or the, the clicks the, the in group and the out group yeah or the out individuals and the in groups uh-huh yeah you can start you know you can start to see that a little bit um and, and again the red is not bad i have clients that i might introduce the spiral dynamics to and we discern together that they've got to go back and develop the red. Now that doesn't mean to become jerks in the world, but it does mean to lean into their own individual power, um, discovering their power. And, and just as a side note on this, uh, again, this is from my perspective and I could be very wrong, but a lot of times you might see people in so in spiritual groups who um, on the surface look new agey, uh, they're in spiritual communities that that talk non-dual concepts and whatnot, but they themselves might say, you know, I am discovering my inner warrior, my inner power, and they they become rather uh, black and white, and it's about power at that point, and they can't see it themselves because for them it is a it's a movement into say their own inner divine masculinity or inner divine femininity, but those can be dis, uh, disguising words for the, the red, the necessary red development of their ego structure that didn't take place earlier on. Um, and so that can be con kind of confusing because you can look at someone and say, well, goodness, uh, you're, you're kind of coming, you, you belong to this very loving, community and I, I see that you're into you know law of one or something like that but how you are so assertive and aggressive in your your way or the highway um doesn't fit maybe and from a spiral dynamics again you, you don't need one doesn't need to demonize that person but one can maybe see that they're trying to exercise the the muscle of the red level or from a chakra standpoint discerning and strengthening the the lower triad as a necessary foundation to balance um, which will come later on so I, i'll just throw that i'll tie that up in a bow and austin what are your thoughts what did i miss um i don't know if you're missing anything necessarily i'm not any more of an expert or anything than you are i think we're both um have some knowledge. It's fun to compare. I would say in addition to what you just said in regards to Jim's question, um, this system isn't necessarily just uh, for an individual within one lifetime. Uh, spiral dynamics 
is also intended to sort of look at the development of cultures over a long period of time. And so there's sort of this fractal nature of what we're talking about, where um, it correlates to our individual development in a single lifetime. It correlates to the development of cultures over long spans of time. And then something that I would add to that in the law of one point of view is it could be indicative of our journey over many lifetimes. And so to your point, Jim, uh, the question being, does somebody have to go through this stage to get to the next? Uh, and Doug, you're talking about like, this is uh, typically indicative of like uh, some early childhood toddler, you know, um, <laughs> terrible twos or very uh, individuating toddler. But there's also a point in all of our past lives where we were exploring these energies within the orange ray energy center and the yellow ray energy center and we hadn't yet gotten to open up the green ray energy center and we were likely um exhibiting these types of behaviors that when you hear doug describe them sound really extreme especially by modern standards uh, and so like the modern expression of this stage uh, feels a lot more tame because our culture has kind of progressed past it and it kind of monitors and meters that. But uh, at some point in our past lives, we were probably doing all of these things that sound really terrible. And on that path, I think the service to self individuals then sort of crystallize that power and use these lower stages to uh, develop their own wills and they go in that direction. Whereas, you know, positive individuals continue up to the higher energy centers of the higher stages. Um, so that's my only point is it's also a long-term view. Like we were all probably at this stage for who knows how many lifetimes trying to figure out how to get past it. Oh, good point, Austin. I appreciate that. Yeah. So you mentioned energy centers and chakras. Uh, should we try to get more in detail and depth in that and how dynamics relates to the energy centers? Um, we have more to do on uh yeah we we have more to go through here uh okay. but i think that any one of us or you guys especially can weigh in as what might different levels sound like um as we talk about the different levels but yeah uh i would say that um <clears throat> the blue well without, see we're moving now from the red to the blue and that's the next shift into the spiral and it's it's again moving from i to we um this is where you start to get cultures uh, at, a, at a macro level begin to form you know peoples uh, not just a people but peoples uh coming together in, in a bit of a matrix and so you have values and norms and discipline and duty um regularity and feelings of honor and guilt really uh, emerge and come online here. Shame and guilt come online. And often um, shame is used, shame and guilt are used as conf tools and it's all unconscious. I don't think anybody consciously does this, but they're used as tools to um, help people conform to the uh, rules, conform to the group. Um, you know, so you should be a good little boy and a good little girl, because God's going to love you if you do this. But if you do that, you know, that God's not going to love you and you may go to hell. <laughs> so there's, there's this sense of, um, of good and bad. 
it's we versus they thinking. Um, it's it's searching for meaning and order and and routine and security. Uh, there's self control. So this is very different from the impulsive red. There's the emergence of self control and discipline and loyalty to doctrines and rules. Like them's the rules, ma'am. You know them's the rules. That's just how it is. We don't question things around here. Uh, and there's a literal and definite dis definition to absolute, to the absolute. Um, there's no nuance. There's more morality is good and bad. And there are certain set um, of rules that you must follow in order for you to be rewarded. And, and always heaven is seen as later and apart from this earth. It's, it's a, so in other words, you sacrifice now so that you can reward you would enjoy the rewards of heaven later, um, as opposed to a more integrated worldview would be that heaven starts now and you know, hell realms, the different bandwidths of consciousness that might resonate with less um, or more dualistic thinking would, would you know, they start now too. So hell starts now and heaven starts now in, in this created world. But um, they, the blue level sees it as something later to enjoy if I can just suffer through it now. Uh, and their structures start to form, um, discipline, you know, value, they, there's a value of effort and responsibility. Uh, there's a real sense of meaning and purpose that's transcendent to the self. Remember earlier in red, it's whatever I want and whatever I need is the truth. But blue starts to say, whatever we need and whatever we want and uh because god has ordained it this way and and by the way god loves our our group um and this gives me great meaning and purpose and so i'm going to sacrifice the self uh to the way of our people and uh, you can start to control impulsivity um the idea of jails begin to, to happen you don't want to kill people off as much as you want to help reform them um you know indoctrinate them into the right way of thinking and the right way of thinking is our way um, and so this is really the beginning of the the structure on an individual level you know learning how to have structure um what is one's prayer life for example you know uh do, can we do mundane things in the world from a structured place? Can we hold space for structure or are we just going to, um, you know, I'll, I'll just put off exercise or I'll just put off praying or something like that. Um, cause I don't, I don't have any structure in my life. So you can see that it's important to develop uh, blue thinking in the individual too. Um, but from a nat from a bigger perspective, blue is where you have the birth of nationalism and the idea of patriotism, you know, patriots. Um, and from a political standpoint, uh, spiral dynamics starts to teach that this is where sort of the uh, an idea of conserving um, religious conserving and and political conserving of our group's norms becomes important because our group is sort of chosen. It's kind of the chosen country or chosen people. So again, pros and cons to each, but it's definitely a, let's say, an 
evolution from the I thinking of the red. Um, and, so, and, and then from a chakra standpoint, um, at least from my way of thinking is there's an emergence of the, of the green for the first time. Uh, you definitely have the second and third chakras continuing to develop. Probably the third one takes the lead this time. So the second one, the second chakra, the sense of self and one's own needs and whatnot um, are held in tension and are sub subordinate to the needs of the group, the greater group, the nation. Um, but, but also there's, there can be the green chakra beginning to emerge. And I'll just read one raw quote that I have here that begins to speak to this a little bit. So this is from 21, session 21.9. Uh, um, Thus the beginning entity is one in all innocence oriented towards animalistic behavior using other selves only as extensions of self for the preservation of the all self. Okay, that would be more of the, and this is Doug talking again, that is more of the beige um, earlier levels, okay? But continuing with raw, the entity becomes slowly aware that it has needs, shall we say, that are not animalistic, that is, that are useless for survival. These needs include the need for companionship, the need for laughter, the need for beauty, the need to know the universe about it, about ourselves. These are the beginning needs. And as the incarnations begin to accumulate, further needs are discovered. The need to trade, the need to love, the need to be loved, the need to elevate animalistic behaviors to a more universal perspective. And so I feel like that is really coming to um, fruition for the first time in the blue level from a societal standpoint, as well as an individual. So that ties up blue. What do you guys think on that one? Austin? <laughs> um, yeah, my, I have very similar interpretation of how this level sort of correlates to the energy centers. I generally see these sort of lower levels um, up to the point where we get to the green level, which is, uh, I think, very easily correlated to the green ray chakra. Um, but I see them as sort of a very, um, an, an unfolding of the orange and the yellow in ways that then allow us to receive catalysts that could then trigger the green ray energy center. And I do think that what you're saying, Doug, that the green sort of makes its appearance here is, is true. Um, but essentially what I see these levels is doing is like some more and more intelligent crystallization of like the orange and the yellow on, you know, personal and societal levels, allowing us to sort of, um, uh, like you were saying, discover these new needs that aren't survival needs, but like needs that are maybe calling to us more from our heart and uh, arranging our individual consciousness and our societal consciousness in a way that we can then begin to explore that. And I think it's sort of like, it indicates this intelligence of um, development and where we're going and how it's headed towards uh, essentially the realization of love within third density. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And <clears throat> um, 
I, people in blue, for example, uh, they are extraordinarily loving in their own group. Um, and, and you might even think, and maybe it is, again, I am not sure. <laughs> I'm not metaphysically, I cannot see these things, but uh, they, may, they may look like they're in green ray. Um, very, very generous with their time, talent, willing to die for a member of their group. But then place them, pick them from that particular group and then place them in another group that has different values and one wonders how they're going to see that group. Um, so, you, for example, you may have a um, a person that belongs to a faith, for example, that they are very, very loving within that faith, um, even making pronouncements that God loves all children. But then, in but really, the operational theology is, but our faith is the one that God loves the most, <laughs> and we have the truth because here it is, and we have the book to prove it. Like just follow the book here. <laughs> and so those who don't have the book or don't know how to read the book the way, the right way, which is the way we do it, uh, they're less. God doesn't love them that much. And we pray for them that they can come to see the truth. So from a chakra standpoint, I'm not a metaphysician in this stance, but for me, it sounds like that is not yet the universal love come online. And that's where you can get somebody who is really, really loving to their group but one wonders if it's universalized yet. And again, that's just my own speculation. I am, again, not sure on that, but I wanted to weigh in. Do you have any reactions to that or thoughts that can help me? Um, my only real reaction to that is just that I think it's the benefit of sort of exploring these other related systems because, you know, in the law of one, Ra doesn't really talk about love and a context outside of uh, the universal love. Um, they did in that quote that you shared a little bit of, um, you know, preserving the other selves as the mm -hmm. all self. But I think that uh, this is an interesting uh, examination that's more practical in a lot of ways than um, the Ra's basic energy center, you know, explorations. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to drop this now and then we'll pick it up when we hit green in just a few minutes, but uh, there's a specific law of one uh, exploration a little bit on this. And you guys actually might have um, better ideas about it than I do. But in 37.17, uh, there's an introduction of, or introducing of general Patton. And it seems that there's this dynamic going on where um, George is from previous programming from incarnations and whatnot uh, was very strong yellow ray activated, uh, moving frequently into green ray, ray, green ray openings. Um, and, but wasn't able to break into green ray in terms of a harvestal, harvestable level threshold because of not being able to break the mold of, you know, bellicose, bellicosity. Um, and Ross moves on to say that at the end of his life, um, there was a slight increase of polarity, but a decrease in harvestability. And that's an interesting thing. It's like, okay, so how can one increase on, uh, positively, but decrease harvestability, you know, in a harvestable way? <laughs> and uh, one way I can understand it, of course, 
could be wrong, likely am. I'm already distorted by saying it. But uh, from a spiral dynamic standpoint, it makes sense to me that let's say if someone were in a coming from a blue place, which the military in general tends to be fairly blue. Um, and, and of course, back in World War II, the country was almost completely blue. So you've got a General Patton emerging as a blue person um, who was able to fight the good fight for the nation. You know, that would be his group. Um, and in that fighting, and there was a kind of, I'm, I'm doing this for the sake of the group, you know, I'm going to kill other people for the sake of the group. There was a, um, a positive polarization, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was touching Green Ray. Uh, it could be that there was more of a balancing of the lower chakras, but it was still gravitationally wise within the lower triad. Um, but it was so much so actually that there was a closing off of the heart, uh, maybe even more so than it was coming more coming into this lifetime. Because a universal love then would not be able, would be harder to have that kind of role, I think, in war um, and, and be able to see the enemy as your other self. Like that would be a difficult paradox to have. I'm not saying all people, all warriors and all military people are not in their green ray. Likely a lot of them are much better than I am at that. But I am saying it's a hard paradox to hold together, um, opening the heart, keeping it open and um, being at war. So I just wanted to throw that weird paradox, that juxtaposition that Ross pointing out that they increase a positive polarity, but a decrease in harvestability. Any, any thoughts or insights I could take home with me on that one? Well, he saw the ideals of truth and beauty and even some of the open heart, yet still he fought on. So he negated them. Um, Gary, I don't know if you are eager to jump in, but I know you're a history buff and have probably thought about this quote before. Do you have any thoughts? Mm, thanks for the invite, but um, it's been a point of confusion for me as well, because one would think that an increase in either harvestability or polarity would necessarily mean a corresponding increase in the other. So um, I was hoping for some insight from you guys, but I think uh, Jim's highlight of the final couple clauses of that statement do potentially open the door to some understanding, which I will repeat, Ra says, that is seeing universal love yet still it fought on. So maybe it's this, um, juxtaposition of these two lines of development within Patton, one which does in fact see universal love, but the other, because he had difficulty breaking his mold, yet still engaged in bellicosity. And uh, spiral dynamics seems to offer some explanation for the way in which the self can have different intelligences within the self or different lines 
as it were, of understanding, whereby one could be fairly developed in one line, but uh, undeveloped or stymied, uh, arrested, retarded in another line of development, thus creating you know, um, some disharmony within the self or imbalance within the self. But uh, still, it's something of a puzzle that polarity and harvest are um, not equal properties here. Yeah, yeah, thank you uh, for that. I, I, that's good. It's, it's a hard one to understand, too. Um, and I think that the blue level, for example, uh, if the blue level, which is a necessary level we all go through, um, if the blue level is a, an access point that we can start to see, not just my people are the chosen one, but actually through my doctrine, doctrines and dogmas and encountering of the other, whatever essence that I saw in my own people, if I can be open-hearted and start to see that same essence in others, then that can lead me to green ray opening, maybe even at, at a harvestable level. Um, so I'm thinking, for example, the St. Francis that we, the St. Francis, the Franciscan prayer that we alluded to earlier, but St. Francis, the story there was, he was an, a young man and he went to go fight a war against a neighboring uh, nation, which was now just a city. They're only about 10 miles apart from each other. And um, that was at the beginning of his life, probably like 21 years old or so. And then <clears throat> by the end of his life, he thought he was going to go and convert the Sultan in one of the crusades. So his idea was to actually just march right through all of the, the quote, enemy's territory, walk right up to the Sultan, you know, preach about Jesus, and then uh, the Sultan would get converted and the war would stop. Like that was his thinking, which is still very blue, as you can see. But because St. Francis was absolutely open-hearted, um, and we know from Ra, for example, he was one of the 150 entities that were harvestable at the end of 25,000 years ago um, in a group in South America. Uh, so this would have been na natural for him to emerge from that blue quickly because the actual story about his life is he was so impressed by the faithfulness um, and, and honoring of the Sultan and all of the warriors, actually Muslim warriors towards God that he came away at first confused and then uh, completely aware that they're holy too. And he really made a lot of Christians upset when he was, when he said something to the effect of, if you see even a torn page out of the Quran on the, on the ground, you need to get on your knees uh, and worship. Now he wasn't meaning like worship that it as that is God, but show it reverence and honor because he was able to see that um, this perennial truth is found everywhere. And that's a real breakthrough. He was able to see that the other is him and he is in the other. Um, okay, moving to orange. Uh, again, there's a shift from the we of blue back to the I. And uh, the orange is the beginning of strategic thinking. There's a, there's a strive, drive, striving, um, striving for autonomy and independence, uh, seeks out the good life and material abundance. Uh, there's a progress through searching out the best solutions and 
this is where science and technology start to really emerge uh, culturally and certainly now there's a play to win and, and enjoying of the competition you know think of the sports stuff and the gadgets that Rod talks about um, as that relates to the chakras and our own spiritual development there's a learning through tried and true experience so there is a definite appreciation for the scientific uh, method here um, there's an ambition for money and status and recognition uh, there is strategic planning that will help you accomplish and be successful and you know what if you want it you can do it there, there's there's no bounds to what you can do if you truly want something you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get out there and do it there's there's nothing socially uh standing in your way so if you're a poor person burnt, born in an urban area um, you should have complete and total equality to be able to achieve what everybody else can do it. Um, just with hard work, you got it. Success is yours. And our country will you know, support you in that. Um, there is an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, let's play, you know, play the game from rags to riches is often touted as the success stories in, in our culture. Um, it is the first time where capitalism and, um, and, its, and its own morphing into libertarianism emerge. Um, these, the orange tends to be conservative politically at the uh, early orange, uh, but it shifts maybe a little bit more progressive or liberal towards the later orange um, as, as things begin to develop. But there is this sense, it's almost like red, if you will, but it's it's much more refined. Uh, it's, it's much less impulsive and much more system, systematic thinking, strategic rather, not systematic. Uh, it's not thinking in systems yet. That, that comes on in, in yellow, two levels up, but it's strategic. Um, and it's once the science. Let, let's make plans based on good data um, would be an orange kind of thing to think of. Um, it has a lot of reaction against blue they see blue as, um, you know, your belief systems are getting in your way here. <laughs> so let's, let's see them for what they are. And uh, there, so there's a dismissal, an energetic dismissal of, of almost belief systems. And if they, people do, orange people do have belief systems, it's going to be couched in the sense of, if you love God, and then God will reward you. Um, it's, it's almost like this, uh, gospel of, um, what do they call that? The pr prosperity gospel, God rewards those who help themselves. And if you fail at something, then it must be that you're not good spiritually. Like that might, might be something what an orange would think. Um, but again, it's a shift from we to I, and I, I find that, um, if I'm thinking of the shockers from this standpoint, <clears throat> I think that the second chakra takes the lead again, just like in red. So it's the individual, but it, it's situated now, unlike the red, it's situated within the desire for the well-being of the community. So this idea of trickle-down you know, ec economics, which obviously has been proven to not work, um, but it would be this idea that if we all grow rich, you know, the top grows rich, uh, that, okay, they do, but it brings up everybody. 
Um, and there's some there's some data that supports a little bit of that, but it's it's oh, there's still a huge split there between the haves and have-nots. But that that difference is not recognized in orange. That comes on in green. That's the next level. Um, the green ray, I think, would be almost a little bit difficult to access in universal love because at this point in the orange, there is an exploration and love of materiality, especially as it emerges in science. Um, and it can almost become scientism, uh, where if it's not proven in the real, real world here, uh, then it doesn't exist. And so there doesn't seem to be very uh, universal love, I guess. Um, so anyways, that would be the orange level. Uh, we're grateful for the orange level because uh, we wouldn't be able to be talking through a computer <laughs> and, and this technology. And we all go through this. This is the parts of us that want to succeed. And there's nothing wrong with that. You have to be able to have those impulses and enjoy them uh, to, to develop a good image, you know? Uh, but the, the, I guess the danger side of the orange is that it make it mistakes um, the egoic self or the false self. It mistakes it for the true self. It mistakes the image and success for um, its own validation, I would say. So anyways, that's the orange. Any, any thoughts on that one? Just a quick, quick reflection um, in that, uh, you know, what we're describing here, I see is each stage kind of sets the stage for the next stage and is preparing us for the next stage. And um, like you're saying, there's stuff to be grateful for, you know, in each of these levels, not just in terms of like, you know, Orange has given us these computers we talk through, but, you know, there are aspects that are relevant to the positive spiritual journey in this. And like ideas of self-responsibility and how the self uh, is responsible within society. Um, those sort of emerge in the orange. They don't really have a moral direction necessarily. It's just these ideas are now becoming uh, realized within this stage. You know, I see it as sort of this final um, uh, balancing of the orange and the yellow that then, uh, like we were saying, sets the stage to um, start considering the green ray openings. Yeah, that, I, I think that is really well stated. Um, okay, moving into the green. This again is a shift from the I to the we. This is level six, uh, still in tier one. Uh, so we have the green and you know, this is human bonds are really emphasized. It's relativistic compared to the other ones. It's pluralistic. This is the emergence of uh, globalization. So you can really start to see that the different levels are really, uh, if you're thinking sort of political terms here, you can see where some of the, the fights are happening uh, because each stage would have its shadow sides and there's such a big um, a fear of, of globalization and, and some of it is understandable. On the other hand, um, it may not be a sign of enlightenment to be against globalization, as a lot of spiritual communities might say, it might actually be a resistance to a level that that particular person or spiritual community needs to explore. Um, because ultimately, if fourth density is what it what Ra says it is, and we're all uh, bonded 
in, in sort of the consummation of fourth density is the social memory complex connecting. Um, you don't get much more pluralistic than that and uh, globalistic in a sense. So um, the coming together and the mixtures of cultures and peoples is a slow onset of um, a nascent social memory complex that is uh, marching, <clears throat> marching along. Okay. Um, the green strives for harmony, unity, and consensus. Relationships uh, are important, sharing and bonding. Uh, it's the first stage that ecological and environmental consciousness really start to, to um, be born. And the reason why is because they're, they're coming from the orange and they're starting to see, man, um, okay, we've got these great technology, but it's, it's really ruining the environment. It's totally ruining the environment. And uh, we've got to do something about that, people. <laughs> so you, you do have these um, people that start to take on causes. And, you know, all of the different groups can have causes, of course. Um, but the green group, really, if the way I understand green is that they're the first group that's starting to look at the marginalized. And that includes the environment. Like what is, what is being oppressed? You see a, a blue, or, you know, red, blue, um, orange, those are not, those levels of consciousness are not yet uh, able to see the, those that are left behind or, or the, what is the result of the exploits? You know, what, what does success look like on the other side? the consequences of the kind of success. Um, and so green has, grows a conscious in a sense to be able to see um, marginalized people, oppressed people, um, climate uh, issues. And uh, it desires to bring in um, this idea of political correctness. And I know that that is, there's a lot of shadow sides to that. And a lot of them are true, but the very notion that they're, there should be nuance paid to um, words and labels because words and labels matter. Uh, that is a consciousness that is particularly appreciated by green, but often demonized by, um, by the, the other groups, the lower groups, let's say. Not lower in terms of worth, but lower in, on the spiral. Um, green is idealistic, it's pacifistic, it's humanistic. It's tolerant and accepting of other views. Uh, it's caring, personal growth. Uh, spirituality comes back online here. New age thinking. Uh, a lot of green people would be very open to uh, crystals and aliens. And that's uh, most, most definitely when a lot of people will uh, discover the law of one. Although um, any of the groups, you know, orange and, and blue can discover the law of one and they'll interpret it uh, based on um, their own development. But green is interested in those things. And uh, they want to liberate humans from greed and dogma. Like that's the big push. Um, and they want to promote a sense of community and unity. And uh, <clears throat> social justice starts to become a factor. Uh, community organizing to empower the marginalized is a factor. But there are shadow sides to the green that can actually, because it's right now might sound a little bit heart opening to people, um, but that can actually be really 
a way to block the heart. And so that's when we need to talk about this, the, the, the chakras here. Because <clears throat> as Austin rightly said, I think that this is the first real session, our real level where you might have um, a more permanent activation of the heart chakra. It's, it becomes a stage of the activation instead of a state. Remember states are temporary. But what green does is in its enthusiasm to reject all quote norms, uh, you know, the way this is the way things should be done. And in its enthusiasm to reject and demonize um, uh, the absolutists of morality of the blue and the greed of the orange, which is following its own doctrine of, let's say, success. Green believes that there are no, there are no universal truths, which the irony here is that that in and of itself is, is a universal truth. So there's an inherent hypocrisy in, in green is there are absolutely 100%, I'm completely sure, and, and you can quote me on this, there are no absolute truths. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what ends up happening at the green level is a lot of fraction, fractions can come out um, where people are pointing fingers and scapegoating other, even other green levels, usually not. Greens amongst greens are, see each other as sort of comrades, um, you know, companions along the empowerment journey but um they will definitely start to they're not so unified in them in and of themselves and their attitudes can become dismissive extraordinarily cynical um and and always sort of focused in on well that's not going to work because of this and this and this and well you, you shouldn't be thinking that because that's not very high thinking they, they really become very convinced at what they're against, but they haven't yet explored in their consciousness what they're for. Um, because again, they're still in the second, the first tier and the first tier's ethos is, well, we, tra we transcend, but we're excluding all the others. And so by, by very nature, that excluding of the others uh, is not yet universal love because um, they, and Ken Wilber actually, <clears throat> that Austin um, is a fan of, Ken Wilber uh, talks about greens as, quote, the mean green. <laughs> and because you can get a lot of greens who are really righteous um, and they're mean about it, even though that maybe their understanding is more developed because um, they have a pulse on what's marginalized and what's not, um, the way they go about being righteous is off-putting to others um, and they can't see their own inherent uh, hypocrisy. So yeah, there's a definite more active, permanent activation of the fourth chakra, but um, I wouldn't call it yet universal love. So help, help me with that, weigh, weigh in on that one. Um, the, I think this is probably at this point the most relevant I think people listening can probably recognize what you're saying as it plays out in our culture. I think this is, at least in terms of uh, my perspective, um, there's a lot of focus on this development within our society right now as a sort of green stage development, like you're saying, because this is sort of where the heart of the culture war is. And like you were saying, people who sort of 
get to this level and they recognize the need for equality and the need for universal love, um, like they're recognizing the need for that, but then they have that shadow that you were talking about that Ken Wilber calls the mean green side where they take that need and they basically turn it in on itself and use it to then, you know, reject others. And they kind of look like you were saying in this first tier, every stage believes it's the apex stage, essentially, believes that they have arrived at the truth of reality and that everybody else needs to get on their level. And they kind of take that attitude to an extreme. And um, I think that's really what the we're seeing. That's one side of the culture war that we're seeing uh, today is the, the mean green doing their best trying to figure out how to incorporate these green ray energies into a not so developed society and maybe in not so developed individuals. Yeah, yeah. And it, it can be a way to hide behind an ideology that looks green, heart chakra green, as well as spider dynamics green. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks green on paper, heart chakra wise, but could be a way to disguise one's um, own blockage of the heart so that they actually just keep doing the uh, closed circuit on the lower triad. Um, so just because someone is in green doesn't mean that they're living wholeheartedly. Um, but I do believe it is overall um, an evolution to appreciate um, the other as the marginalized. And that, that hasn't happened at the other, the earlier stages. Mm -hmm. Um, so now kind of wrapping it up here, um, <clears throat> there are, there are, t we're going to move from the first tier to the second tier. And there are two levels that are talked about um, in spiral dynamics of the second tier. And I'm really only going to spend time on the first level of it because um, uh, that, that to me is, is really the onset of maybe what we could think of as the universal love levels and, um, so it's important to spend a little time on it, I think, and I'm, I'm mindful of the time. Uh, there's a radical phase shift. Only about five, 10 to 12 people percent of humans actually move into the yellow on an individual level. Um, it's very hard to do this in a collective because it is understood by spiral teachers that the United States, for example, is primarily a blue and orange country um, with a little green, maybe at the, the fringes, the edges, <laughs> you know, uh, Vermont and then color, you know, California and <laughs> little, little green else place. Of course, Louisville, Kentucky, right there at the law of one epicenter is, you know, it's beyond green. I mean, come on. Um, but what we find is, uh, the United States, for example, like I said, is, is nowhere near yellow in its organizational thinking. Um, it is said that Northern Europe might be more green. Uh, Europe in general is more green, but still very orange and blue. So you don't have a, a nation or a group of organizations that are fully yellow, uh, but you might have some uh, corporations and, and some organizations that are trying to think from a yellow place. Some think tanks might also think from a yellow place. All right, so the shift from yellow, green to yellow, marks the, the shift from the first tier to the second tier. 
And uh, it's very difficult gap to pass through and there's much resistance at the edges. And you know, Ra has a, a quote, um, 82.29, where they say, the stair upon which an entity stopped would be either third density light or fourth density light. Between the two stairs lies the threshold and to cross, to cross that threshold is difficult. There is resistance at the edge, shall we, shall we say, of each density. And I, I remember hearing that the first time with the law of one and then also having some familiarity with the spiral dynamics at that point and realized spiral dynamics is saying the same thing, that they intentionally put a gap between the first and second tier, um, which I thought was interesting that they intuited this um, resistance at the edge. Um, emerging at the yellow level for the first time is the attained integral structure of consciousness. <clears throat> and uh, it's integral in, in a way, it's not a new consciousness per se. Uh, it doesn't mean, it's not equated with enlightenment, but um, here's where the universal love comes in because it, rather than being a new consciousness, it is rather uh, the ability to see the whole structure of consciousness for the first time. In other words, the spiral is starting to be embraced for the very first time at the level of yellow in the second tier. Before that, it was, you know, transcend and exclude, but now it's include all of them. Everything below is included. And because I can include it and, and, and honor it for the value system and the truth that are contained therein, I can then transcend, you see, include and transcend. Um, and for example, the um, second tier, uh, particularly the yellow, it's understood that the ego is not eradicated, uh, nor is it evil or the sense of self. Uh, rather, the sense of self is accepted as part of our embodiment here in third density. And, you know, you can balance this sense of self um, and, and it can love the world and embrace the world through, uh, embrace the suffering through solidarity. So there's not a forsaking of the world, but Ironically, second tier, unlike the other tiers, dives more deeply into it. Um, it's more of an embodied spirituality, uh, one that really preferences the here and now, especially as it's illustrated by Ra, um, session 10, when it talks about love is contained in the moment and look at the tree and see the creator and look at the mirror and see the creator. Uh, that, that is really alive and well in a full gnosis uh, way in yellow and the second tier. Um, and no, gnosis, by the way, means lived experiential reality, that I know it as an absolute experience and it's not just a head, a head knowledge. That's what gnosis means. Um, and so I believe that this ability to think in systems, systematic uh, thinking, appreciation of the complexity of the world appreciation of all the levels of consciousness, it starts to be the hallmark of what I would consider the green rays universal love uh, as described by the law of one. So yellow is flexible, it's systemic, it's integral. Um, it's a shift back from we to I, but it's not an I that is egocentric like red and orange. It's, it's an I that is, um, wanting to see itself succeed, but not at the cost of the group. 
And so why don't we come up with a systems way of thinking so that the whole group can not just evolve uh, economically, which was the preoccupation of Orange, but can we meet everybody where they're at, not demonize them, but value where they're at, and then maybe invite them one step forward, <laughs> you know? Um, that would be how a yellow would think. And so it's an acceptance of nature's flows and forms. Um, it's a function on functionality, uh, focus on functionality and competence and flexibility. Uh, the yellow is very flexible. Uh, blue and orange are not very flexible. Um, there's a, the yellow is the first stage that's able to handle conflicting truths, paradoxes, let's say. It's the first stage that can appreciate uncertainty. It's the first stage, for example, that says, I know what I know, but I know that I don't know. That's what I know is I know that I don't know. Whereas the other stages, you know, below this in the first tier, it's, well, I know what I know, but I don't even know what I don't know. Uh, so the, the yellow actually is rather humble because it says I, there's a crap load that I have no idea about and, and I'm uncertain and I, I don't, maybe I don't even need to know, um, but I'm at least going to hold, um, well, actually the, the term faith changes in yellow. Um, maybe before blue and orange and, and, and purple, of course, and red would see faith as this is, a, oh, I'm living out my faith, faith equals doctrine or religious spirituality. Um, but yellow would see the word faith much more from a place of, um, I have an ability to hold uncertainty together and things that I think are certain together and they don't cancel each other out. And I'm having faith and trust and hope um, that I will eventually live into more and more truth, but I know that I don't know the truth right now. So, so faith is, I'm having faith that um, it comes to me as I keep my heart open. Uh, yellow would see that there's an overarching view of living systems. Um, it's an integration of the head, heart, and gut for the first time. There's a focus on uh, both process and content and unlike any of the other ones in, in the tier one, yellow is able to move freely in different value systems. And, and so let me just give you an example of that. I don't, I cannot say that I'm in yellow, um, maybe in some areas that I am, <clears throat> but one of those areas would be in, in counseling, for example, um, because there are certain people that, and no one of, those, of these people would be listening to your podcast. Um, there's a certain, group of people that they were blue or orange and they're coming with a belief system that I will not demonize. I have made that mistake before, but I will absolutely completely honor it. And because I know the, let's say Christian lingo, I will use Christian terms as, as perennial code words, you know, code words that describe a perennial truth, but they're, I know they're going to interpret them from their, um, blue cultural religio level. And that's perfectly okay. Cause that's where they're at. There's no need for me to move them anywhere else, but within their blue 
level, I will help them gain some feeling of freedom from whatever anxiety or depression or even um, uh, um, dark night of the soul where they're questioning their spirituality. So a yellow person is able to basically kind of like what Ra says in terms of the archetypes at the end, put on the energetics of the different levels. Um, Ra talks about putting on the archetype and becoming that archetype. So it's really kind of the adept level. The yellow puts on the archetype of the different levels below in tier one and then speaks to them in a way that they would understand uh, in a framework that they would understand so, but, but it's not here to manipulate them or um, oppress them, but rather help them with their goals. So the yellow is interested in doing needs assessments. You know, what are your needs? What are your goals? I'm not going to give you mine. I just want to know what yours are. And let's you and I come up together with a plan on how to accomplish those things. So a yellow is a lot more free to think in that way. Um, and finally, uh, with yellow... <clears throat> it, there's personal freedom without harming others or nature. Uh, and it, it, politically and economically, uh, it's actually considered by a lot of spiral dynamics teachers as the first time where there's a hybrid between um, conscientious capitalism and socialism. Now, I'm just going to spend a second on this one because a lot of people, when they hear socialism, and this is one of the big cultural issues that we have today, um, you'll, ha you'll hear certain elements in the culture talk about the dangers of, of socialism as, as it, and they understanding, their understanding of it is, is actually communism that properly belongs in the blue. Uh, and so when orange, for example, is talking about the extreme dangers of uh, you know, any socialist thought, for example, they're equivocating it with the demonization, rightly so, of blue expressions of communism. But they do not have an appreciation, let's say, of what, let's say, uh, a socialism that's informed by uh, robust capitalism. So really, a yellow understanding of the hybrid would be capitalism with a, a very compassionate safety net that affirms the realities of the social inequities in our society um, and the privileges that go with dom with the dominant class like that that kind of flexible systematic thinking and then developing policies therein is really really um, able you're able to do that from a yellow standpoint and, uh, and so lastly, with the chakras, um, I'm seeing that the second and third chakras are fairly balanced and harmonious at this point. Um, there is an upward flow into the fourth chakra. There's a good activation of the fourth. Um, it might even be harvestable levels. I mean, I would say most people who are harvestable at the green ray open-hearted chakras are gonna be able to think, at least appreciate um, the inclusivity and systematic uh, approaches that yellow espouses. I would, I would think that there was an, be an appreciation of that. Um, there is a true gnosis of Ra's, you know, recommendations of balancing the self that's contained there in the 10th uh, session, 10, 14, um, where, you know, the exercises of the moment contains love and then um, 
the second seeking, the third seeking, and the fourth seeking of all of these abilities to see the creator um, not only above, like blue thinks there's a separation, God is above and we're down here below, but yellow thinking um, can appreciate, again, the hierarchy of truths. And what that means is, is that there are truths that are valid within the hierarchy, but there are truths that are more, let's say, valid than other truths. Um, now that, if you're gonna hear that as a blue, you're gonna be really upset, um, or even as a green, but as a yellow, one could say, yeah, there are certain truths that um, should take precedence. And in one way I measure that is to what degree is a truth leading me and others to love? Um, even those to whom we need to set boundaries can I, not on a conceptual basis only, but a full gnosis, mind, body, spirit, see them as the creator? Because that is what we all are ontologically. Uh, and that really can be appreciated at the yellow level. So that sounds pretty wholehearted to me. And um, that's, that's a bit of the end of my presentation or thinking on spiral. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Hope I didn't bore you too much. <laughs> um, well, um, go ahead, Austin. Okay. Uh, for my part, I'll try to be quick, being conscious of the time. But this is what I think is the most interesting part of, well, one of the most interesting aspects, like you were talking about earlier, uh, Doug. There's a, this is the end of the first tier, end of the second tier, and there's like a barrier. There's a, maybe not a barrier, like a quantum leap from, everything we've talked about before and into this next level. And you uh, were kind of correlating this with um, the green ray energy center and perhaps even harvestability. And I think that that is essentially the primary correlation here between this first tier and the second tier. I do think that somewhere between this green stage uh, at the end of the first tier and this yellow stage, the beginning of the second tier, is that leap to harvestability and in some ways to fourth density. And in terms of the energy centers, um, when Ra was talking about our uh, raising of the locus of the energy centers, sort of like the uh, locus of inner and outer natures, and they were using the uncoiling serpent as an analogy, um, they say, you know, where these energies meet is where the serpent will have achieved its height. When this uncoiled energy approaches universal love and radiant being, and to me, universal love is uh, the green ray chakra and radiant being is um, probably the blue ray chakra. Uh, the entity is in a state whereby the harvestability of the entity comes nigh. And so I think that when we're in that green stage, we're essentially um, getting there. We're almost there. And then I would, in everything you were describing about that next stage, the yellow stage, the first stage of the second tier, um, I think there's a lot of correlation between what you were describing and how Ra discusses uh, the work in the Blu-ray once we achieve that green ray activation. And that green ray activation being indicative on some level of some form of uh, harvestability or um, uh, awareness of fourth density energies. Um, Ra also talks about how opening and activating the 
Blu-ray Energy Center is also difficult for us, just how this sort of leap from first tier to second tier is difficult. And they talk about how that's because it the Blu-ray Energy Center requires what what they say, I'll just read the quote, uh, requires that which your people have in great paucity, and that is honesty. Blu-ray is the ray of free communication with self and other self. Having accepted that an harvestable or nearly harvestable entity will be working from this green ray springboard, one may then posit that the experiences in the remainder of the incarnation will be focused upon the activation of primary Blu-ray, a freely given communication of indigo ray, freely shared intelligent energy, and if possible, moving through the gateway, the penetration of the violet ray, uh, intelligent infinity. And what I interpret that difficulty of honesty is not just speaking truth, but an honest assessment of the self and the journey that one has taken, which is necessarily looking, like you were saying, at the the spiral of spiral dynamics or looking at the development that one has taken and understanding that this is a process. Um, you're saying this is the first level at which a person understands that everything that everybody is going through is part of a process that is unfolding and growing. And I think that is kind of what the honesty of the Blu-ray is, is understanding that when you see somebody else uh, at a different level, you recognize that in honesty, you are also part of that level. You were at one point, you contain the aspects that they're exhibiting and you're able to be honest about that. And the way that Ra describes the Blu-ray energy center, I think reinforces this because they talk about how, um, how those blocked in the Blu-ray energy center have a difficulty grasping the spirit mind complexes of its own entity and further difficulty expressing such understandings of the self. So if you're unblocked in Blu-ray, you do have a greater understanding of your own self and you're able to then express that to others. And I think part of that expression is understanding that they are at a certain level, like you were talking about, you're able to kind of put on a hat and put on the same hat that they're wearing and communicate to them. And I think that is kind of the Blu-ray work that's indicative of what Ra was talking about once the entity reaches green ray and works in green ray a bit the rest of the lifetime is kind of spent trying to perfect this understanding of how to interact and we now have this full view of our own journeys and the the process that unfolds and how do we then integrate that with our interactions with others and imbue the love with wisdom and the wisdom with love and i think that's sort of that harvestability point and the jump from that first tier to second tier Oh, brilliant. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is uh, when we find ourselves angry at other people, um, it very well may be, not always, but very well may be is because they're exhibiting a level of consciousness that we ourselves have inside us too, but it hasn't been appreciated or even fully developed. And we may need to go back and uh, work on that. So if someone is green, but can't seem to be structured at all. And they're pissed off at someone who's, you know, re too religious and too into their dogma, but that person gets up at four in the morning and prays. Um, I can hold them in contempt, but I look at my life and, you know, I, I don't do very much. I haven't contributed very much. I may be more non-dual, but I actually should go back and uh, flex that blue muscle a bit more and get it strong because maybe I never did that. 
So that's, that is one way to help a, when you're accessing that heart ray and the throat chakras, as you say, the green and blue, then you're able to not point the finger as much as, as look inside the self and say, where in me um, is causing that frustration based upon the catalyst I'm living through and viewing that other person. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an invitation for self-inquiry. Well, I would say for myself, um, a lot of this did go past me, but what remained and made an impact upon me was how both spiral dynamics and the law of one have a means by which we can assess our own spiritual, cultural, and personal evolution. And I think that's a very important thing because we need to become conscious beings of how it is we're living our lives, what affects us, how we affect others, and how we can all eventually work together to help each other make that great journey back home to the unity of the one infinite creator. Gary, any final thoughts? Um, I've very, very strangely, I found the valve of thinking and reflecting fairly closed. I have found myself in a rather passive, listening, absorbing state, and it's been fascinating. And I think, I hope it's been to the benefit of the conversation because it's given more space, uh, particularly for Doug to share his uh, intensive studies. So just want to thank Doug for being on the podcast. And um, I and, and a final personal insertion of where one particular way I found this intersecting with my own life is the challenge that uh, I, feeling myself a somewhat compassionate, open-hearted person, have when viewing other worldviews I see as destructive, maybe, or contradictory, or um, just not in service to the whole in some way and finding uh, resistance, frustration, impatience, anger, even at those worldviews, maybe even the proponents or carriers of those worldviews. And I think this integral level at yellow and above can really be a helpful model for situating um, a diversity of viewpoints within the self through a process of integration rather than um, resistance and the bellicosity that results therefrom. But anyways, uh, thanks to uh, Doug and thanks to Austin for representing our team (laughs) by uh, being able to uh, speak with Doug in this language. Thank you so much for the opportunity um, for the five maybe two listeners out there that are not asleep. Uh, may you persevere. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, you've been listening to Ella Research's The Law of One podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can find more from Ella Research at ellaresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. A special thank you to Doug for the information on spiral dynamics and to Gary and Austin for joining me today. If you've got a question or topic you'd like for us to discuss, Please read the instructions at www.lrresearch.org forward slash podcast. 
We'd like to thank all of our listeners for being part of our podcast once again today. We're all part of the perennial wisdom and unity of the creation. We are all part of the spiraling, never-ending love of the one infinite creator. Please know that we love you all. We can feel your love for us. Know that all is well and that all will be well. No matter what the illusion of separation tells you, we are all one.